0: Welcome to Startupville, the show where we discuss what it's like to build a tech startup and a startup ecosystem in a small city. I'm Mike Wolfsfeld, our host is Dan Gold, and joining him today is Greg Sutton of TinyEye.
1: We help schools with hard to fill speech therapy positions, and we're changing the world one smile at a time.
0: And Katrina German. I'm the CEO,
2: president, founder of katrinagerman.com.
0: In today's episode, we discuss how embracing failure can give you a huge advantage in business. And how entrepreneurs can manage personal and financial risk in their startups. Startupville is brought to you by Innovation Place and Martin Charlton Communications.
3: How long has Tinyo been in in existence, and and how have you found that journey? I mean, it's never easy, but
1: what's it been like? Sure. So. Tiny has been in existence since 2005, so roughly 13 years since we came up with the concept. And where we are today is at a point where we can finally make some real strategic investments into our organization through our own investing resources, through our own retained earnings, and so on, which is really exciting. We're always the journey is, is I find, we're always a little bit behind of where our company is. So. I'm a great CEO for the company that I had a year ago. For today I'm a beginner, I'm a learner, it's a brand new day, it's, I've never been a, worked in a company of this size and I've never uh, been in a CEO position in a company of this size and by the time I figure out what I should be doing today, it'll be a year from now and that's, that's kind of been my, my journey along the way. And Katrina?
2: Well, I've always been Katrina German, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so
3: <laughs> I... Uh, but have you been katrinagerman.com? That's
2: right, yeah. I, I was one of those people who, in the early days of Twitter, I loved it, and that just started my my digital space. I was one of the earliest social media strategists in Saskatoon, and trying to explain to people not only what is Twitter, but that there was opportunity to be making money using social media. So during that process, I you know did a lot of work in video, did a lot of work just in terms of just social media strategy and had several paid clients in the early days. Uh, then I started a, a technology company for four years, and that was a really, really incredible experience we It was a video platform uh, where people shared their stories and so we had people from around the world using that platform thirty six different countries and It was just an amazing experience growing that company over those years and really learning a lot of the the ins and outs of the technology ecosystem in saskatchewan and you know throughout North America. So that was a really fascinating thing. Um, Unfortunately, that company went under in 2016. So since then, I've been doing, again, a lot of social media strategy and working and consulting in just basically technology and business, helping technology startups, helping other people with businesses just incorporate more technology into their companies.
3: If we talk uh, about what Greg just said, In his journey, being the CEO of a year ago and everything now is new, how do you find that in in the scale of operation that you've got, Katrina?
2: Well, I think, you know, there's, there's absolutely, you know, as you learn and gain more skills and you just learn and you apply them differently to business at different stages of your career. And so all of the things that I learned as a CEO of a tech startup, I'm now able to apply a lot of those things to my consulting business, which, you know, gives me a lot of advantages in some ways. I'm really looking at how do you make a consulting business scalable? Um, how do you, you know, just basically meet the needs of a lot of different people, uh, using different technologies and kind of minimize the amount of staff you have uh, to be meeting those needs. So there's a lot of different things that I've learned that I'm now applying. And absolutely, I think you're, you're constantly learning and wishing you're better and, and doing better to try to achieve that.
3: How do you look at your current plan and what you're doing now and not be overly cautious? Because I see people, you know, we, we say in the in the startup field that, you know, it's it's fail, fail fast. And and go on to the next thing. Iterate on what you're doing. Is there is there a risk of then being overly cautious and being more risk averse?
2: Well, I think anytime you have a business fail, it's very you know scary, and there's a lot of consequences. and And so, absolutely, you want to be a lot more cautious. The difference is though is you learn a lot of lessons, and so you have a different. Uh, level of risk tolerance and also just you know things that you're willing to get involved in you know when I when I first started if it was a good idea I was in um, now I evaluate markets I, I think about the team a lot who's going to be involved in anything I get involved in I think about um, you know financing that's the number one piece can I get this finance before I even start and so you're you know I think to be an entrepreneur um, you're always kind of looking at ways of, of solving problems and now I'm just a lot more cautious but also I have a lot more information too about how to solve problems so so yes it changes you but again you have enough experience to make different decisions next time and so I think you know true entrepreneurs are just willing to keep jumping in and jumping in and jumping in and, and until it works out.
3: Greg how do you look at risk in your organization?
1: it's a lot about what you determine to be risk and so some people say oh it's risky starting a business and for me it's 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 risky getting a job and working for someone else and helping them build their dream that's a huge risk to spend my life doing that and so I see it not as risky starting a business when I look at my dreams my goals my aspirations for myself and my family and what I look at when I look at risk is is very similar to what Katrina is saying is it's about knowledge and risk management. And so from the outside looking in, some of the things we've done may look extremely risky, you know, remortgaging our homes, doing this, taking out huge lines of credit, and my god, what did I do when I was doing that? But it was um it was managed risk. We had plans, we had so much information. We we were up all night researching, calling, looking into every angle and making sure that yeah, if we take this path, we've got a high high probability of succeeding. And that, I think, was a big part of of getting through, and then a little bit of luck and timing at the same time. And so risk is something that needs to be managed. We don't take big risks, We, we manage big risks, and we manage them well. And we move forward, and we know that we're never going to have 100% of the information we need to make a decision. If we can get to 70%, we're, we're awesome. If we're 50%, we'll, we'll move forward cautiously. And we, we fire bullets before we fire cannons is, a, is what we tend to live by. Do some testing, do some experiments, move on, and then if that worked, we continue. And if it didn't, we pull back and try another tactic, and that's, that's how I view risk
3: so in between your firing bullets before firing the cannons how do you look at internal risk as against external risk factors that you just cannot influence
1: so the internal risks i think you know there's there's risks of your staff not being able to do what they need to do not having the resources to do what they need to do not the capabilities and and mostly it's internally i would say the risk is in leadership and 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 when i look in the mirror that's that's probably the biggest risk our business has is the person standing there and so that's where I can influence, that's where I can study, and that's where I can grow. And, and when building a business, it's it's really about building yourself. And when I mentioned earlier, I'm a year behind, but I do catch up, and I catch up by studying, by reading, by taking courses, going to seminars, having lunch with Katrina and bouncing ideas, all of those things, using a network of mentors, and that's how I control my environment. The external stuff, if I do all my internal stuff well, the external stuff doesn't need to be the inhibitor of my business or the deciding factor of whether I'll succeed or fail.
3: There's a very good quote that I like, that even the best soccer players, even the best uh, NFL teams, they still have a coach. They still have someone uh, guiding them. They're not there to take every kick of the ball, but they are there to provide that uh, guidance and support, that external perspective. Uh, That's clearly a very important thing. And Katrina and I have spoken previously about uh, mentoring and the importance of mentorship. Um, How, through your journey, Katrina, have you found uh, the mentorship being uh, a lesser or greater influence on what you decide to do through your own actions?
2: I love this question because I think mentorship is crucial in anybody's path forward. Um, For me, the way I find mentors is basically... Um, when I'm looking around and I can, I can see somebody, for example, speaking, I have a speaking mentor cause I do a lot of public speaking and I saw her, I, I was at a time where I was going to a ton of conferences. So I was seeing a lot of different speakers and she happened to be in Saskatoon as well. Patricia Katz is her name and she was doing a presentation and it blew me away. She had the, the, the entire audience enraptured. I thought about everything that she had said like for days afterwards, you know, it was just amazing content, amazing delivery, amazing pacing. And so for me, in my mind, I wasn't like, well, that was neat, I'm walking away. I stalked her (laughs) until she agreed to be my speaking mentor, uh, which didn't take much, you know, basically a coffee and, and now I have access to her. So it's one of those things where I have mentors from around North America simply because I see their work, I find it impressive, and I just want to be around them and learn as much as I can. So not only finding the relationship, just asking and then nurturing that relationship afterwards is really important.
3: What happens if someone that you identify who would be the ultimate mentor for you turns around to you and goes, yeah, I don't see potential in you. Well, you know, maybe they're a bit mean. How do you how do you then feel? I mean, I don't know if you've been in this situation, but how do you feel if they go? I'm not wasting my time on you, basically. I mean, that would be I would take that as a really personal knock.
2: I would be really surprised if any Canadian ever did that.
3: (laughs) Only in England then.
2: Um, Most often, yeah, most people just want to help, especially other people in business want to help because they know what it was like to start out. And, you know, it's actually an honor to be asked, can you have, you know, some time just to share experience? But, you know, when things happen, I I think sales, for example, if someone says, no, I don't want your product, you know, uh, it's the same sort of feeling of, you know, rejection in a way. In my mind, I just have this thing where I'm like I'll see you later you know no just means no right now I'll be coming back when you need me I'll be there so you know I would say the same thing for a mentor you know I'll see you later or I'll find someone else and then when you want to hang out with me later I'll see you then Yeah,
1: yeah. and and they might not be the right person at the right time and they'll recognize that and if they tell you no then it's great tell me why not well because you're not here you're not doing this you're not doing that Oh, so that's the stuff I need to be doing to get. Well, you just help me. That is mentoring. Like every no has a reason behind it, and there's never, it's never a reason to have a bad relationship with failure or rejection. It is the greatest teacher. Success is a horrible teacher. It, it does not teach you anything. It, it rewards you for being unprepared. But failure, it is master's degrees day after day, and that's uh, it's exciting to be told no.
3: I I've seen a couple of startups. Who or individuals behind startups who have been, well, frankly, challenged on a serial basis in bringing something to market. Now, sometimes I've seen some of these organisations. they they're on their fifth, their sixth iteration. At what point do you say to someone, maybe this isn't for you, maybe it's not within your character to to see this through, or maybe you haven't got the the right support network around you. How can you how can you help this person? Because clearly. If they're willing to give it a go, they're not a lost cause.
2: For me, I have a a, a mentor who said once, here's when you know when to quit. Number one, where you're at a hypothesis for what to do to make it better, your product better. Number two, when you're out of money. And you know, and that might mean that you're just taking a pause, you know, and you need to go and work for a bit or work on a different idea, come back to it. But it is something that, you know, being too attached to an idea is, is also can be dangerous as well. But I also think too, that tenacity and, you know, keeping trying and, you know, trying to work it out and being open to, you know, potential markets and what they actually need, not what you think they need, you know, that's the way that you're, you're probably going to find that right fit. And sometimes it's going to work and sometimes
1: it isn't. Having a technology
3: startup is really hard. Do you and- think a lot of it could actually come down to poor research?
1: Yeah. I mean, it comes down to a lot of things. Poor preparation. If you if I say, hey, tomorrow I want you to go climb Everest, you're probably going to fail. But there's a way to get ready for that where you can succeed. And starting a business is no different. You can have the best market, the best idea, the best software, and fail miserably, or you can have a bad market, bad software, and be an astounding success. And it's it's really about all the the mix of of those variables of the preparation, the research, the the funding, the energy. And businesses, you, you, you have to monitor your energy because you can run out and you can have money, but you'll just shut her down because I just can't push this any further. I'm, I'm done with it. And in my role, I, I'm, I get to mentor a lot of startups, and I've had a lot of mentors, and I never find it's my role to tell people, hey, it's time you stop. But the advice like you got is say, this is how you can think about it, and this is where you should know, and it's your decision. And I had people tell me to stop. I had lots of people tell me it wasn't going to work. And they were right. The path I was going wasn't going to work, so I changed my path and found a way to make it work. And so it's it's not always about stopping, as it is changing horses, changing directions.
3: I think that's just a really good answer. Do you ever see a, a moment when you look at your business, when you you have your annual review, maybe with your board or your your mentors, your external? panel and you look at your business and you go i'm i'm really contented when can i sell this thing i mean i'm not asking you directly business insights now but is there ever a temptation to go you know what i've taken this one as far as i can i I fancy something new is there ever that temptation to go "Mm," you know something different or or a proportion of your time
1: yeah and that thought comes into your mind and it's not the reason we started the business, but the opportunities can come along. And over the years we've had, I don't know how many different, maybe 15 or 20 people knocking on our doors, kicking the tires, saying, Hey, we're interested in acquiring you. And it usually came down to what they wanted to do with us. And we looked at our staff, our teams and said, you know what? They're all going to lose their jobs. That's not good. You know? and, And then if it's this much, well, if I want to start another business to get that business to where we are today, I don't want to go through that part of it again. That's the hard part. I'm at the fun part now where I've got a great team, I've got a great product, I've got great customers, and I want to keep going. And so for us, for me, for my dream is more so to be able to build the business so it runs itself, so we've got a great team in place, and I can still enjoy a lifestyle and, and have um, you know a professional fulfillment, professional challenge but not need to be in it as much as I am or have been in the past and and I've been able to do that a lot more in the last couple of years we've been able to escape the winter for a few months and go to the tropics and rent a place and work from there and those kind of things which is really nice and and you know maybe we slow down a little bit in in what we push but it's uh, it's been good and if the right opportunity came and all the pieces could fit together maybe that would be a better opportunity for our business to have new shareholders and so on, but that hasn't come along yet.
3: Here's a question for you both. What's more important, the idea or the people?
1: The people.
2: Yeah, the people.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah, the people is what makes it worthwhile at the end of the day. It's the relationships you build. It's the impact you can have. It's the way you change someone's life, whether it's by creating a job for them or the service that you deliver changes the outlook and the opportunities they have in their world and it's definitely uh it's definitely what keeps you going and you know when when times are tough when you're out of everything and you know hey the staff that i'm gonna pay on friday that i've got to go and increase my line of credit well you know what they get to buy their first home with this paycheck and this is a big deal for them and i can't screw this up i can't be the idiot that ruined their house transaction you know it's you got to you got to really think about that and the ideas grow and build and there's there's always going to be more ideas it's it's the impact on the people i would say
2: i think that you can sell any idea if you have the right people even a terrible idea mm-hmm. and so it's one of those things you know just from a business perspective um i think the people are really important and you know, there's you know differences in hiring too. Like some people are as as leaders want to just hire and you know, just have people who are gonna listen. You know, and there's gonna be other leaders who will hire to, you know, hire rock stars and just be trying to get running to keep up with them. But I think ultimately no matter what, your team has to be working in the same direction and really meshing and really contributing to every person's life who's on that team in order to make something, you know, really, really hum.
3: You're both really connected people. This I already know. And and Katrina, with your links down in San Francisco and in Silicon Valley, um, is there a temptation to go... (sighs) you know it's the hub of everything we could iterate quicker having a business down there yes sure it's cheaper to do things here but it would be quicker to do it in a big center with more people around and you know access to the talent really quickly and yes there might be more of a turnstile of people coming in and 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 leaving for the next big project but maybe that could get my project started quicker what what would be against that
2: Well, it's two very different things, building your business here and building one in San Francisco. Um, The pace in San Francisco is incredibly fast, um, but, you know, there's a lot of pros and cons for both. In San Francisco, some of the differences are that down there, there doesn't tend to be as much loyalty. You'll have, you know, developers that work with you for, you know, until their shares are vested and then they're gone. Uh, you know, a lot of people are hopping jobs to kind of pad their resume and such. Um, it's very, very expensive. The quality of life is tricky. You know, you have to commute for an hour to to get anywhere. So there's a lot of thing you know, it's just, you know, it's it, there's a lot of things that are great about it because you do have access to, you know, training, mentors, capital, you know, and just being in an environment where everybody's, you know, an A team is going to make you better. But, you know, there's a lot of advantages to building something in a smaller center too. You know, like there's the the big fish, small pond, you know, syndrome where you can actually get things done. And, you know, here you have access. Like if you want to go do an interview at CBC, you just, you know, call them and go do an interview at CBC. In San Francisco, you'd have to hire a publicist and work on it for a couple of months you know, to get that kind of access, Um, you know, funding, you know, even in larger centers in Canada, people are just fighting over like IRAP funding and things like that. And here, you know, a lot of companies are able to access it, you know, because they have access to to that program for funding uh, technology companies. And that's a national program called IRAP. And so, you know, there's a lot of advantages and disadvantages, but basically it boils down to quality of life right? and what kind of lifestyle and what kind of business you want to be building and where you want to be living and with your family while you're doing it. Um, for me, my family's here. My people are here. I love Saskatchewan, and so this is where I'm building my businesses from, and so it's really important to me.
3: And so you've said about talent uh, acquisition in San Francisco would be would be quick, but they may not be as loyal here. Is there more of a challenge of of finding the right people for your organization? I mean, from Tiny point of view, have you found that to be an issue?
1: We kind of did, but we solved the issue. So it was a problem that was solvable, and we have somewhere in two hundred and twenty people in our organization, and twelve of them are in Saskatoon, and the west. The rest work remotely. So whether the sales team, the marketing staff, operations people, all of our therapists and so we didn't use it as a barrier we're an online provider and so why not have you know why look for in our labor market which has two hundred thousand people in it well let's add New York let's add Atlanta let's add LA now we have you know 15 million people and we can find someone that's really gonna fit our job and that's what we did and we've been very successful in that approach and we set up our systems our offices and everything to support that I think um, as well being out here there's you, you're outside of the noise as well. You're not in the, in the hum of the machine, but you're also not distracted by it. And I think, um, you know, I like to read a lot of business books. And Warren Buffett, he, he's an interesting guy because he kind of did things a lot different. And he's in Nebraska. He's the best broker in Wall Street. And he hates New York, he hates Wall Street. And he he's, likes to be outside of the noise. And that's how he won. That's how he, that's a huge part of his strategy and so we feel the same way we didn't want to drink the kool-aid when you get in the valley it's vcs trying to build you and flip you and if you don't flip easy you're done and they move on to the next one and that wasn't my career ambition
3: so can that effectively nail a company to the ground if you're not in the model that suits them
1: yeah that can be a huge uh, a huge challenge and a huge problem you know people get very excited oh they raised two million dollars You know what? They want that money back, and they want it 10 times the size of that, and they want it in four or five years. And if you don't give it to them, they're going to take your business and your hide, and that's your life dream and your story, and the last 10 years of your hard work is gone. You know. And um, for me, my two biggest drivers in life are freedom and challenge. And so if I take huge amounts of money from a VC or any money from a VC, I lose some of my freedom. And to do it without venture capital financing, to be a bootstrap company and get to where we are, was a huge challenge. And I loved it, and I still love it. And so for me and my personal values, that really jives and really meshes together. And it doesn't say that's the right way or wrong way. It's just my way, and it's the way I chose.
3: But is there a feeling to say that if you accept VC money, you suddenly effectively become an employee to someone else's machine?
1: For me that would be a feeling, yeah, for sure. What about yeah, you, Katrina? To a degree. I, I call it all the
2: entrepreneurship pageant. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's kind of this,
2: you know, idea of, you know, a lot of people are pitching and doing their things and I participated in it too. And mm-hmm. it's a great way to access different funds and access different people and different programs to help you with your entrepreneurship so there's advantages to it Um, and you know it gives you a higher profile for things like Further Funding Angel and VC funding Um, but it is one of those things that you know it's not necessarily the right path you know like for every company and and, you know it's, it's just one of those things that if you do have a VC or angels involved, there's more people involved in your company and you have to be deferring decisions, you know, and sometimes you need to move quickly and there's trick, you know, tricks with that. And, you know, it, it, you're just involving more complexity into leading your company.
3: You mentioned something, Greg, that really intrigued me just now. When you said that there's the distractions for the business owners, the entrepreneurs being in those larger centers, I've always looked at it um, from the point of view of being in a smaller center, there's a risk of not being able to attract the right talent for your organization. Is there also a risk in being in a larger center? of seeing something shinier over there and going, ooh, bit of what we would call magpie syndrome. There's something shiny over there and you know, I, I'm facing a challenge and maybe that over there would be an easier path.
1: Yeah, I've, I find in the bigger centers, you get a lot more people who know the answers. And what, some of the advice I got over the years, which has always helped me, is trust those who help you seek the truth. Do not trust those who claim to have the truth. And in Saskatoon, there's a lot less people claiming to know how to build the tech business, but there's a lot of people who can certainly help you and ask the right questions, and there's a lot of smart business people. Silicon Valley does not have a monopoly on intelligence. It is distributed around the world. And so that is, that is what we avoid. And I know I have friends that move down there, and oh, you need a CTO, and you need to pay them this much, and you need this, and you need that, and they raised their million bucks, and then it was gone six months later, and they're back here, and they're, hey, you need any work stuff, so, you know? And it's like, okay, well, that's fine. And not to say that that's a bad thing. Those things can work out extremely well, and there's great businesses that have come out of that, and, and it's just a different type of risk to manage and a different way of doing things. And so that, that's the kind of noise I'm talking about is, is being a little bit naive, myself is just uh, allowing my self to remain naive and, and happy
3: <laughs> <laughs> as we get on to the last couple of questions i suppose a question that i'd have as you've um, gone through that scaling process katrina's organization is very different being a consultant consultancy based organization if you had any advice and, and i know that you give each other advice and you, you're a part of your own support network as as, as a part of that wider machine. But if you had advice for uh, Katrina to, to say, look, you know, this is what I would, you know, consider as those next steps or things that I've seen through our experience, would you feel, I'm not going to ask you to actually give the advice.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sweet, I can't wait.
3: Uh, What I would say is, would you feel comfortable because you're a part of this community and and friendship clearly must come into this?
1: Mm -hmm. So would I feel comfortable giving her advice?
3: Yeah, yeah, if you you said, you know, if she sat you down and said, I need advice on dot, 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 that's one thing. But if you're just, You know, you're going out for a coffee and you've seen something. How confident do you feel the strength of the community and the friendships that are a part of this community that you can go, you know what, Katrina, I know you're going down this path. Maybe I've seen this.
1: Yeah, I'm very comfortable in doing that. And I and I would hope that she would be as well. It's, It's I think. I think in our community, we rely on each other to watch each other's backs and to say, hey, this is what I'm doing. you know. And when we see each other in the hallways or at different business events, we say, how's it going? What are you up to? And it's not just good, oh, you know, nothing. It's this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm working on. And we tell people that with the intention of getting feedback, of soliciting advice, of understanding that we're talking to someone who genuinely cares about what we're doing, how we're doing, and is curious and interested to either learn or to help us learn from what they've done. And so I'm, maybe I give too much advice sometimes, but I'm always willing and able and excited to help people if I see something and, and say, you know what, this is where I've been. These are the, the, the pitfalls I ran into. If you avoid those, maybe you can find another path. I didn't get through this way unscathed. And, and yeah, it's a, it's, it's a good thing, I believe.
2: And I've actually done it. I've
1: called Greg
2: and <laughs> said, I am dealing with this major problem. I need your help. You know, can we just talk through this over lunch or over a pint or <laughs> whatever? Yeah. I, you know, there's there's never a moment that I would hesitate to to reach out to him just to offer advice and to several other people in the in the ecosystem as well. Um, that is one of the things that I think that we have that's a real treasure in this province is that everybody genuinely wants to see the other people succeed. Mm-hmm. We are all rising and floating this boat together, mm-hmm. and so when Greg's company succeeds in a way I succeed and Mm -hmm. everybody else does as well. And so it's one of those things, you know, the competition and that sort of a feeling that happens in other places, I don't think we have to the degree here because here we just all want to see each other succeed. Yeah,
1: I agree.
3: And that's a really awesome thing about being in this center. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy. Um, If you had a piece of advice on how people could communicate about their organization in a more effective way, I see, many startups who can't really describe they can describe the problem that they're trying to solve but they can't describe their relevance to it why they're the ones that are there to be the ones to solve that problem is there a way and maybe i'll start with you katrina on this one is there a way that startups can look at themselves and go well this is a problem we're solving but this is who we are to be able to do it and who who you should trust for it I know we're new, but this is what we're doing. I mean, is there a way that startups can look at that?
2: Well, I think most startups sort of start with an idea that they're trying to um, solve a problem that they see. And so a lot of times that idea evolves and people add features and, and different ways of, you know, solving that problem. And when it gets to the point that you're actually trying to sell it or explain it to other people, you really want to be doing it from the perspective of that other person, not from yourself. So I often see, you know, startups as they're pitching, it'll often be about the features that they have or the, you know, here's this thing. Um, And you really, anytime you have an actual audience who's going to be buying clients, um, it's pretty tricky to sell things that are nice to have. The things that you need to sell are need-to-haves. And you're solving someone's pain point. They are in so much pain around this point, they're willing to take an action hopefully your solution is the action that's going to solve their pain. So that's what you need to be listening to when you're talking to clients. How do they describe their pain? How do they describe the way they want to feel at the end of it? And that's how you describe it. So we basically, you know, we solve your problem, um, finding social media consultants you know <laughs> or whatever you know the the thing is that but you know you're trying to use as many words as possible from the perspective of the client not from your idea of what's going to solve something
3: yeah so it's so solving is providing uh, satisfying a need in the audience effectively exactly yeah. um Oops. with your organization uh greg do you I don't know how this fits in with you as you've got to your stage where you've got to now mm-hmm. but certainly framing things in the in the ears and the eyes of the audience in the, whether it's customer or investor or whatever it is going to be must be a really important thing. Have you seen out there so many people going we're going to solve world peace, let's say, but mm-hmm. they don't talk about the practical steps that they're going to do or what they're going to address to get there.
1: Yeah, I I've I've experienced that myself by doing it, I've seen others do it, and and I know that when you focus on those things and get those right, that's where a lot of success is derived from. We talk about the value equation, it's the most simple equation in business, but it's the one that's least understood, and it's value equals benefit minus cost. And for you listening at home, write it down on a piece of paper, stick it on your wall, and it's benefit as the customer describes it and cost as the customer describes it. Your cost may only be 25 bucks a month, a year, a day, whatever it is, but there's the cost of switching, the cost of implementing, the cost of administrating, the cost of learning, the cost of changing, and all of those things are important. And your benefit might be all these features and whiz-bangs and wazoo's, but it's, it's the benefit that the customer perceives. And if you don't provide enough value, you cannot sell that. And that's a challenge as well some startups have, and we did in in early days, is, is we could sell stuff, but we couldn't deliver what we had sold. Because you can sit in the sales meetings, oh yeah, it does this and that, and you run back to the office. Okay, developers, I told them it's going to do this, that, and the other thing. <laughs> what can we actually do here? And we struggled. And uh, I think a lot of people get into that too, where they don't really understand their, their spot in the value equation
3: thank you so much for joining us on startupville katrina let's go with you where can people find out more information about katrinagerman.com and you and uh, then i'll throw it over to greg for exactly the same question but i won't ask greg where to find out information on (laughs) katrinagerman.com well
2: this is going to surprise you but you can find out more information about me at (laughs) katrinagerman.com i am uh, also at Katrina Vision on a lot of different social media platforms and i'm often sharing things about Business tips, women in tech, women in business, and just different ways to be successful going forward.
1: Thank you. And Tiny Eye Therapy Services, we are at tinyeye.com, t-i-n-y-e-y-e.com, and we help schools with hard-to-fill speech therapy positions. And uh, yeah, we're changing the world one smile at a time.
0: Startupville is brought to you by Innovation Place, helping grow the tech sector in Saskatchewan, Canada and is produced in partnership with Martin Charlton Communications at wetellyourstories.ca. Our show is produced by me, Mike Wolfsfeld, and our host, Dan Gold. Our theme music is from GG Riggs and Reactor Productions. Learn more about us and our guests at innovationplace.com Startupville, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at StartupvillePod. Don't forget to listen, subscribe, and review if you like the show. See you next time on Startupville.